Welcome to the Not in the Textbooks podcast. I'm your host, Audra, and I'll be sharing stories you've likely never learned in any of your textbooks. But before today's chapter, I need to clear up just a little bit of business. The views in these chapters are my own or my guest's own. They are meant for entertainment and educational purposes only. They do not reflect any connections to any employer of mine, my guests, now, in the past, or even in the future. If you need any medical treatments, advice, assistance, or care, please seek your own medical practitioners, not this podcast. Also, if I have a fellow healthcare provider, clinician, etc., member of the healthcare team, and we are discussing anything that has to do with healthcare stories, there are no HIPAA violations or HIPPO violations, as we like to jokingly call them. We are not going to disclose personal health care information. We are going to change the little tweaks in the story so that there's nothing identified. It is just for the education and entertainment factor. And most likely, things in the story have been changed so that you can't identify who the patient may be. So on that note, I hope that you guys thoroughly enjoy the show. Thanks. Hello, today is May 27th, 2023. Hello, my friend. How are you? I am super fantastic. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you. Good. I have with me today my friend that used to be a colleague. We worked together at a hospice, uh, Father John Borrego. (laughs) He is... Uh, a good, good man and speaks, how many languages do you speak? Well, uh, I'm familiar with several, but you know, as I heard one person describe it, I guess I would say I'm monolingual with benefits. Okay. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That makes perfect sense. Um, Mm -hmm. one of the most intelligent, compassionate and, um, gracious people I've ever met in my life. And, Thank you. You're very kind. Thank you. Thank you. I have happily collected you over the years as one of the people that I've collected. (laughs) We've we collected each other, really, honestly. So, um, and I I guess from there, introduce yourself uh, with more of your background and so forth, and then we can get into the good, Mm -hmm. bad, and ugly because I got one this week. Okay, uh, well, uh, as Audra mentioned, um, I am sometimes known by the title of Father. I am a priest in the Episcopal Church, having been such for uh, something like 45 years now. Um, I uh, have this sort of weird, checkered childhood of different parts of the world. Um, my dad worked for the Standard Oil Company, and so we were in all kinds of places as I was growing up. I was born in Bogota, Colombia. Uh, lived there till I was about five, um, and uh, I um, uh, we moved to Libya. Lived in Tripoli for a year and in Benghazi uh, for two and a half years until we finally moved to this great republic, the United States of America, when I was about nine years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lived in Houston for a while. My family moved to Oklahoma City uh, when I was uh, about 12 years old. And uh, I have lived longer off and on in Oklahoma than any place else. So when people ask me where I'm from, I tell them I'm not from any place, but kind of from Oklahoma. <laughs> um, 
uh, I um, uh, graduated in 1973 from Yale University with a uh, degree in classical languages, to which my dad once said, so what are you going to do with that? Open a Latin store? <laughs> um, which, by the way, I thought was kind of a cool idea. One of those little kiosks in the mall, you know, right. where people could come up to you and you could give them appropriate Latin quotations for five bucks a piece or something. Right, right. Next to a tattoo shop. Like, I promise exactly. it says this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't beat that. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I uh, uh, attended the Virginia Theological Seminary in Alexandria, Virginia, uh, which is also where I met my wife who is also a priest in the Episcopal Church. Mm -hmm. um, a few years ago, we had a new Catholic priest here in Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I now live, and I went to meet him and introduce him, myself to him, and uh, I said, here's something that someone in your tradition isn't allowed to say. My wife is also a priest. Right. <laughs> uh, I have served uh, parishes in several places, in uh, a couple of places in Oklahoma, also in North Carolina, um, I was a hospital chaplain and hospice chaplain uh, for a number of years, altogether maybe nine or ten years. Uh, I was a graduate student at the University of Oklahoma in Jewish history. Um, and uh, um, so uh, I've been trying to figure out all this time what I wanted to do when I grew up. Right. Um, I have been retired from the full-time parish ministry uh, since the end of 2014, and since that time, I have uh, uh, served to substitute at a whole bunch of different congregations around Oklahoma, uh, been active in some LGBTQ activism things. Um, I have worked with the Muslim community in Oklahoma City um, and just kind of done a bunch of stuff. Uh, I also have five cats, if that's of relevant information. Mm. Probably is, right? It always, always is. The pets are always mm -hmm. relevant. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, because Raven's going to probably come up here and meow and put her behind in the camera and, you know. We'll probably, we'll probably have one or more of mine as well. So, that's okay. That's okay. They can talk. We won't even edit them out. We love it. Um, so, one of the reasons that I reached out to you specifically is because um, I'm still continuing this. This week is the last week of May, Mental Health Awareness Month, and we've covered um, <laughs> we have covered mental health awareness in general, as well as some interesting things that are happening with the community of uh, mental health community with reference to the database that they're having to do in Oklahoma. We have covered finding joy um, through creativity, art, expression of some kind. Um, yeah. We have talked about exercise and diet with regard to your mental health and that, that type of thing. And for you, I know that the church brings a lot of trauma to a lot of people. <laughs> um, and you have done, like you said, some work with um, the LGBTQ plus community, um, QIA plus community, and then um, as well as, you know, you've worked, I think that people don't necessarily understand, not so much as, as far as like the hospital chaplaincy part is concerned, but hospice chaplaincy, how it's really yes. not an evangelical, um, I'm going to go out and bring people to Christ at their last moment when they're going to die. It's supporting them through the spiritual pieces of the 
unknown parts of dying and those types of things. Um, but we will get into all of that here in a, a minute, yes. you know, but tell me you're good, bad and ugly, my friend. Hmm. Um, well, let's see. Good. Um, for the first time in my entire life, I've actually managed to grow tomatoes. <gasps> They're uh, so good. <laughs> I know everybody in the world, uh, except for me, they're apparently the easiest things to grow, but I always either manage to kill them myself or get them just to the point of ripeness and the bugs get them or something. But yeah, uh, Squirrels, yes. Yes, yes. And uh, so this year I actually have had several tomatoes already ripen. They are approximately a quarter of an inch in diameter, so I'm hoping there is a... Um, uh, a state fair uh, category for the world's smallest tomatoes. <laughs> definitely going to enter that. You're going to win it. You're going to win it. <laughs> yes. Uh huh. Um, the bad. Um, gosh, it's hard to come up with something exactly. Uh, um, I guess maybe we will get into this, but I find that. Well, this I hope doesn't make me bad, but just it is a bad thing. I deal with a lot of people in trauma of one kind or another. Mm. Uh, and that has not ended uh, with my retirement from the parish ministry. If anything, and maybe we'll talk about this a bit more, uh, the possibilities have just broadened since then because, you know, I'm not just the guy with the collar around his neck who sits in an office a few days a week and then does Sunday services. Uh, I just have developed a lot of stronger, different relationships with a lot of people and find that there's a lot of folks out there who need care and support that they're not necessarily going to find because, well, you know, and sometimes it's just hard for people to make connections. Yeah. Um, ugly. Uh, well, let's see. Um, now, back during uh, COVID, when nobody was getting haircuts, or in my case, beard trims, um, I was uh, had this secret idea that I was going to uh, grow long flowing locks and an extensive beard. And I was working on kind of the Civil War general look. But I discovered, um, and if this is audio only, I would say I have about an inch on the end of my chin and a little bit around the jawline. If it gets much longer than this, it just turns into this fuzzy Brillo pad. Uh, so that didn't work too well for me. And uh, uh, the long hair wound up looking kind of dank and greasy. So uh, it's a good thing I wasn't ever around people at that time. Yeah. <laughs> you looked more scary than cool is what you're trying to say? I would say so, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> just like... I should be ranting on the street corner about the end of the world or something like that. <laughs> and that's not your style. So yeah, that wouldn't work not out. Usually, no. 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 <laughs> um, well, my good is that, and this is sort of one of the things that I think it drove it home this week for me. Jordan got sick at um, Special Olympics. He just is transition anxiety is a thing that, that we both go through now. Um, and he graduating was through the roof. And then he's it's transitioned from the end of year to summer. That's usually a little bit rough, but it's gotten easier these, you know, the last few years. So it's like, yeah, he'll be fine. No, graduation sprinkled on top. And then he's working for the first time this summer. 
Mm-hmm. And we regressed probably four or five years in all the areas and all the behaviors and all of the things. And I'm like, so this last week I've been an absolute, like my, you know, just couldn't, couldn't cope well with much of anything. I'm like, I'm pretty useless people. Like the fact that I'm here is a miracle. Um, and so, but he got, people were coming up and asking him, um, are you excited for graduation? And he was at in Stillwater for the state special Olympics and he worked himself up. They, you know, just people asking and they know him and they love him and they want to know what's going on with him. And, but his response, he worked himself up to puking. He vomited all over the place. Um, (laughs) and so they were going every night to Brahms to get ice cream, but he couldn't get ice cream because, you know, he's got it. He just puked. You don't add ice cream to that. Like it's not a thing you want to do. So he was really upset about it. They ended up having to call me and usually his teachers obviously can calm that stuff down, but it didn't work. So they called me and he was telling me that he was going to go on Thursday and we were going to have ice cream. And I was like, yeah, sure. We'll figure it out. It's no big deal. What I didn't, I didn't get the full picture, but yes, a couple days ago, Thursday, we went to Brahms and his, his teachers and the partners that have partnered with the special needs program kids, um, and go with them and participate in the unified sports. And they've known, they've worked with them usually from, um, grade school on and, um, they all met at Brahms and it was like the most heartwarming, beautiful thing, you know, and watching, I was over at the adult table and talking to them and listening to their stories and all of that. But I was watching the kids and watching him interact with his friends and community just heals us, you know, that just heals us. And he just had the absolute best time and they all love him. And it was just, I was like, Oh, this was the medicine I needed. (laughs) This was the medicine I needed this week. Um, the bad, the bad, the bad was we tried to donate blood. Um, and that's sort of the ugly, but it turns into a good, um, they made no accommodations for Jordan at all. They were point blank rude, put out by him at one of the donation sites. Um, they let us leave where there was a complete safety issue. If what had happened, if what they said had, was going on was actually going on, it would have put me, him, the public at large in danger. And they just let us walk out. Like, um, so I had to make a phone call um, to OBI, they're working on it. Um, and I promised him we would just try again today. We went again today. Um, he still wasn't able to donate. Um, but I was, but he was treated completely differently and they were so good to him and so kind to him and tried really hard to work with him to get him to, and there's all of the ethics that go into like, He's got to be able to know informed consent. He's got to understand, you know, they have to keep the donation pool safe and all of the things. And so um, it it turned it around completely. It was a completely night and day difference. So um, I will be calling again to sing the praises of that uh, Lincoln Center site <laughs> um, and follow up with what's what's happened since my first phone call. So anyway, that's my good, bad, and ugly. So Mm -hmm. do tell my friend, um, one of the, one of the reasons when we first met and talked about you coming on, I talked about that you have 
a an outreach for the you know like basically churching the unchurched um and mm-hmm. you kind of touched on that a little bit so go more in depth about that and and tell people about what you've been doing yeah. what you've been up to mm-hmm. well uh, as i said earlier um I really find myself in contact with a lot of people who the last place they would ever go for any kind of support would be to a church. Um, And this is for a lot of reasons. Some people just, they're not interested. Uh, Some people have come to their own philosophical or ethical position as atheists or otherwise non-religious. And some people maybe a lot more than one might think, have been so horribly hurt by the church at some point in their lives that they would never even think of crossing the threshold. Yeah, they would rather burn a church down than go inside of it. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, this is not only, but uh, quite a large percentage of them are LGBTQ folks. Uh, Several years ago, uh, with the Methodist and Presbyterian pastors here in Guthrie, um, we did a program during Lent, um, which we called Opening Doors. And what we did is we wanted to provide a safe space and a place to talk uh, for exactly these kind of folks, for people who either themselves uh, were uh, gay or trans or or whatever, um, and other people who were interested. Um, so we, in discussing how we wanted to do this, we decided that probably the last place in the world to hold it would be at one of our churches, even though, you know, that at first seemed kind of obvious. Yeah, you know, we've got the building, let's do it. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, then, you know, again, we got to thinking some people just wouldn't come to something that was at a church because they would assume it would involve uh, proselytizing and so forth. Or shaming so, them for uh, who they are. Or, yeah, or, or, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Um, so um, at that time, there was this odd little store in Guthrie. Uh, it was called Prairie Gothic. And it was just, it's hard to describe. It was just all of the weird stuff that you could possibly imagine. Like, if you needed a coyote skeleton, that was the place to go. For okay, it. good to know. Okay. <laughs> if you needed a chandelier in the shape of an octopus, they had those also. Sweet. Uh, if you needed a uh, really tall 10-gallon straw cowboy hat, that was a place to get that. So they also had an upstairs that they used as kind of a small music venue Um it was sort of like a large living room type area. So that's where we had it. And we were, over the course of this, we had some evenings as many as uh, 40 to 50 people come, mm-hmm. which was a surprise. We were wondering, is it going to be more than zero? Right. <laughs> um, and people just shared a lot of experiences. Um, we invited some guests to talk about things like, uh, this was before uh, same-sex marriage was legal in Oklahoma, about legal issues involving a same-sex partnership, things like property ownership and uh, child care and things of that sort. Yeah. Uh, we talked about psychological issues. We talked about political attitudes of the communities. We, uh, and um, uh, just a lot of um, very moving stories came out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one person that I have known uh, for quite a few years 
I would say she's probably about 60. Uh, she told this heartbreaking story about how as a teenager, uh, she sort of semi came out to her family and they were horrified by what she told them. Mm -hmm. So she was sent off to this summer camp. It was, you know, conversion therapy stuff that was going to, to fix her and just how awful and traumatic that was for her. And that took her many, many years afterwards to rebuild some kind of relationship with her parents. Um, uh, and, you know, that was just one story of many. Wow. And um, so I guess I could say it sort of made me um, open my ears to people's uh, situations. Um, and uh, that has led to a lot of very um, deep conversations and experiences with people. Mm -hmm. uh, Guthrie is an odd place for Oklahoma because it is, it's a smallish town of about 10,000. But we do have a pretty large art community here. Mm -hmm. So we have a fairly high percentage of LGBTQ folks who live here. Mm -hmm. um, and the attitude towards of a lot of people here is, well, I think those people are really weird. Well, except for my friend so-and-so, you know, now she's yeah. fine. You know, <laughs> she's not like the rest of those crazy ones. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they had never had any kind of a pride event here. And uh -huh. so... Uh, I helped organize one a year ago, and it was very well attended by all kinds of people of all ages, um, and it was really a lot of fun. There's another one in the works now, which is, I think, going to be even better. Yes. Um, and uh, that'll be towards the end of June, and I'm, I'm looking forward to be a part of that. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so, you know, that has just led to some... Uh, like I said, very moving experiences for me. Yeah. Um, I uh, have a friend, um, uh, and it happens to be someone that used to work with Audra and myself, and uh, we we knew when we were working with him years ago that he was gay, and mm -hmm. in fact had met his, his partner at that time and so forth. And mm -hmm. um, uh, he called me a couple of years ago, and he told me that uh, he was soon to be going in for colon cancer surgery. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, usually these things come out okay, but not always. Not always. And yeah. he realized that his home, his car, everything he owned, every, his bank account, all were in his name. Mm -hmm. So if God forbid he didn't make it through the surgery, then his then partner would be left with nothing. Yeah. And and he said, would you agree to officiate at, at our marriage? And uh, this came by way of a text, and I'm, I'm told, Lynn, this is what it's about. And she said, what are you going to say? And I said, well, what do you think I'm going to say? Of course. Of course, yeah. <laughs> so um, I said, you know, so um, when do we want to do this? He said, tomorrow. <laughs> and I said, okay, and it flashed through my mind all of the, uh, shall we say, requirements the, the Episcopal Church has about, you know, advance notice and premarital counseling and all that. And I just thought, no, this is a different situation. Yeah. Um, so uh, Lynn and I went to the home of these two guys, and um, 
I, he also, by the way, is an atheist. And uh, yeah. so we did a somewhat modified service of the Episcopal Church's Book of Common Prayer marriage service mm-hmm. where, you know, there's the structure of it was the same. You know, you say, well, we're here to uh, bless this marriage. Uh, you two, are you quite sure you want to get into this? Do you, in front of these people, give your consent? Then zip, zap, zap it's done and you know signed the paperwork and yeah i just think it was it was a very uh happy event and very moving for me to be a part of it and it was it meant a lot to me that he thought of me for that yeah and, uh, yeah and knew that you would be okay to do it i think um yes we've had situations where i um was involved and in, sort of knew of regardless of what it was um mm-hmm. it it the patient was dying um and their same-sex you know partner because it wasn't legal at that time mm-hmm. um the family was somebody prominent in oklahoma and did not want to smear their reputation by yes. um you know publicly outing what they've always privately in the family known <laughs> mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and so his partner their partner, <laughs> um, their partner asked multiple times to have them come up. The patient asked multiple times to come up, um, have the partner come up, and the family refused. Um, and they didn't have the legal paperwork to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, manage to allow, you know. You have the code number now. You can call up and ask permission, blah, 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 blah. But, and you can put who your primary contact is and all of those things. But when you can't speak for yourself anymore, you don't have that ability. And at that time, if this is your, you know, this is your next of kin, they have the say so, regardless of whether or not that's really your wishes, you know? And so it's a, a tough thing and and you and i have seen many many times I, I think you were involved in the um dog vaccination incident that i had yes yes okay. mm-hmm. <laughs> you and i've seen many many times where people want to do something they have something that they need to take care of and that becomes their end of life crisis need whether yes. that's and it's a spiritual thing it is a spiritual mm-hmm. part it is a spirit it is a, a journey of the end of life it's part of mm-hmm. it and until we can find the root of it to resolve it mm-hmm. it sort of sits there um yeah. and that p- particular instance because i know people are going to be like what was the dog thing there was a person who was dying and they had moved to this ruralish area <laughs> and the dogs were the babies and the spouse had not taken the dogs to the vet. The patient, you know, was anxious, had anxiety, high, high anxiety. And mm-hmm. I was not a fan of, I was a fan of etiology, determine, assess etiology of anxiety prior to medicating the said yes, anxiety yes. because I mm-hmm. could throw an entire bottle of Haldol blow darts at them and, yeah. <laughs> and it's still, she's, she, he, they are still going to be anxious, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. um, anyway, so upon assessment, it turned out said dog <laughs> was the root, the etiology. That was the cause of the anxiety mm-hmm. 
Um, and we figured out a way to get the vaccines and I called a vet to see if I could, you know, are these mm -hmm. just an IM shot or a sub Q shot? How are we doing this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I vaccinated the dogs in front of the patient and what, two, three days later, the patient died like peacefully mm -hmm. and happily. Yeah. And it's those kinds of examples of like, not everything you think is medical is medical. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but um, that's very true. And, you know, you, you touched on this earlier about what, in fact, is a hospice chaplain or, as they're sometimes called, uh, a spiritual support person. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, uh, Medicare, in their guidelines for hospice, requires that spiritual support be offered to patients. And as you said, this is not, you know, well, let's make sure you come to Jesus before you die. Right. <laughs> uh, it is uh, assessing what the patient's spiritual needs are and helping support those. Mm -hmm. You know, this is Oklahoma, so I would say in my time in hospice, probably the majority of people were Christians of one sort or another. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they wanted prayer. They wanted readings from the scriptures. Uh, they wanted to talk about, uh, you know, what, what happens after death, things of that sort. Uh, but that wasn't everybody. Um, we had people with a lot of different uh, beliefs and backgrounds. Um, I do remember one patient, uh, this guy, uh, I rem uh, with our hospice, as, as Audra will remember, uh, the chaplains and the social workers did the initial explanation of hospice services yes. uh, and, and wrote up the paperwork. And then the nurses came in behind us to do the medical assessments. And uh, so I went to see this patient in a nursing home. And one of the things that I noticed was it happened that he was exactly to the day my age. His date of birth was the same as my date of birth. Wow. And um, so when I started to talk with him, uh, he was at first a little annoyed that I was even there because well, I'm a chaplain. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, he told me that he had had bad experiences as a child with church and had no interest in it and so forth. And uh, in talking a bit about his background, I found that uh, he had been a recon Marine in Vietnam. Yep. And uh, since, and we're now talking some years ago, so this was a man in his, I guess, early 50s at the time, mm -hmm. um, who really was not happy being in a nursing home. He mm -hmm. had a, some medical issues where he really needed that kind of care but everybody else was you know 80 years older than he was and he had nobody to talk to and uh was just very it, it depressed him and made him angry yep mm -hmm. and um so any patient or family has the the option to decline the services of the chaplain so i was thinking okay well, this guy doesn't want to see me again and so he asked me, when are you coming back? And I said, well, you know, we can decide that. And uh, he said, what are you going to write in your note about the reason you're here? And I said, well, you know, usually unless it's something else, I would just write spiritual support. No, nope, don't write that. He okay. said, I want you to write <laughs> intellectual companionship. I said, okay, fine. Yeah. And so I saw him every couple of weeks after that, and he... Um, one of the things that changed about him was, uh, you know, and we talked about his time in the Marines, where one of the things that you have to do is constantly be aware of 
of what's going on around you, situational awareness, they call it. Uh, because partly, of course, if you're in Vietnam, then your life depends on that. But yes. uh, So he began to kind of give that a bit of a try in his nursing home situation. Instead of just saying, I hate this place, I wish I was someplace else. He started noticing things like um, if people, you know, somebody didn't get their lunch, he would bring it to the attention of the staff. Right. If they would say, you know, Mrs. Smith needs to be taken to the bathroom, he would notice that. Mm -hmm. uh, people who wanted to go outside and smoke, you know, he'd be aware of that. So he became this kind of advocate for the other residents in this nursing home with the staff. And that came to be something that he was very uh, involved in and became very proud of. Yeah, it gave him a lot of meaning and purpose. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you know, as he came closer to his own death, he felt like, I guess this part of my life has been a lot more worth living than what I thought it was. Yeah. And um, we never got to, you know, well, are you going to come to Jesus before you die? Because that was not where he was. We no. just talked about how do you want to live your life at this point as you're coming to the end of it? And yeah. uh, uh, I thought it was just, it was a very powerful experience for me, uh, whatever it may have been meant to him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he was, um, he was he was he was one of the ones that I, there were there are always a few that you just have these great memories of like absolutely yeah. what what in where and I think it all boils down to the same thing which may be what you're sort of you know providing mm -hmm. support to trauma victims and people who don't want to necessarily connect with a church proper um, and interfaith com community mm -hmm. and all of the the thread is holding space. You know, you're just yes. not, you're not trying to do anything for them or to them, or you're just holding space for what they need to say and do, and you know, it's it's sort of that, like that. That's, yeah, that that's exactly right. It's uh, my personal image of it is just walking with them. You know, mm -hmm. you don't have to go whatever through whatever this is alone. That there's, I can't make it go away for you, but I can at least walk with you yeah and we were hospice people we are strange breed um which you very well know you're around us long enough um that that the beauty and the power of coming in and saying yep that's on fire nope we're not putting it out but we'll sit mm -hmm. with you. we'll sit with you we'll sit with you yes and maybe we mm -hmm. can get to the point where mm -hmm. we realize that the warm isn't bad the warm is, yeah. is good from it, you know, like, and, mm -hmm. and then you're going to finish it yourself. And, you know, like, I'm not mm -hmm. going to tell you that it's going to be okay. I'm not going to tell you that this is, doesn't suck. I'm not going to tell you yes. paint rainbows yes. and sunshine over this and tell you that the fire's an icicle. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, yeah, it's on fire. No, mm -hmm. I can't put it out. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, but I can sit here with you. I can, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and it just, you know, I'm, as I was saying earlier, I just all kinds of things have come across my path without me necessarily looking for them uh, of people who just, as you're saying, need somebody to uh, hold a space to walk with them, whatever. It was mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. It happened to be uh, Easter Sunday mm -hmm. and or it was Easter weekend. And the day before uh, I got a call from a friend of mine uh, 
she is gay and she is very, very much not a traditional Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, raised in a very strict Christian home and just had way more of that than she wanted as a kid. And yep. uh, mm -hmm. although her parents were pretty good folks, you know, they didn't shun her or anything, but it just, it didn't, the Christianity that she had been taught just didn't speak to her. Mm -hmm. One thing about this person is that uh, she has like telepathic communication with animals. I mean, she's just unbelievable. Her, <laughs> her day job is that she's a dog groomer. Uh -huh. um, and uh, uh, it's just, you know, dogs come in and they're very anxious and antsy and so forth. And then she spends 30 seconds with them and they say, yeah, okay, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and she herself had several dogs. Um, and one of them was, was old and not likely to live very long. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, would you consider blessing my dog? And um, so I said, well, kind of what did you have in mind? And she said, well, I don't know. Um, let's meet at the park and you figure something out. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, Lynn and I th talked about what we want to do here, and yeah. we talked about you know, what does it mean to bless someone. It means to appreciate who they are. Uh, it means to, uh, you know, we were thinking, you know, one of the things we do in the church is we sh we share a ritual meal. You know, yeah. we call it. Holy Communion. And mm -hmm. so what could we do along those lines with this dog and with uh, the dog's mom yeah. to uh, to kind of bring all of us together? And um, so we met at the park and she had told us this dog is kind of shy around people that, uh, that uh, he doesn't know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we were ready for that. And we had asked her, what, what are the dog's favorite treats? And so she told us. And so we made sure we had plenty of those there. So and the dog was just all over those treats, just very, very happy about mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we, uh, and, and since we were sharing also with the dog mom, I happen to know that one of her favorite things in the world was uh, Basil Hayden bourbon. So we brought her a bottle of that. Yes. <laughs> and... Um, uh, we loved on the dog, and we uh, we talked about what the dog had meant to her, and um, uh, we um, I would have thought of this as a prayer. I'm not sure she would have. We just talked about uh, what the relationship with the dog had been, and how important the dog was, and how the dog would always, even after. Uh, he had he had died would be a part of, of her soul mm -hmm. and uh, it was just really quite beautiful and again you know there wasn't a, much in the way of Jesus talk there but yeah. I found it a very holy moment I really did it was wonderful absolutely and and I think that you know the the spiritual walk talk you know with what we've been through together you know and and how we used to work together um and these types of things, I think you did a Bible study. Was that a Bible? Was it even a Bible study at a winery um, in 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 Guthrie that I came to uh, a couple of times? 
Not exactly a Bible study. It was... Because um, you read from uh, other things, like a history yes. thing. and Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I called it uh, Spirits and Spirituality. Yeah, so that was it. I was like, I'm there. I'm totally there. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, we would have a glass of wine or whatever your beverage of choice was. And uh, I would usually come in with some kind of a starter kind of a thing, uh, you know, a... Uh, Maybe something from the Bible, a poem, uh, an article I had read, something in the news, whatever, and that would be kind of our our conversation starter. Yeah. And sometimes it was, you know, capital R religious, and sometimes it was not, but uh, it was just always really interesting conversation. Yeah, and, I uh, thought so too. Yeah, and so mm -hmm. I think it was. Um, it's just interesting, and and then you've done some work with. Um, like you said, the Muslim community and interfaith community and, and so forth um, in trying to bring communities together. Cause I think that when people think of Oklahoma and they hear, you know, father John, or, you know, I'm a priest mm -hmm, in yeah. the Episcopal church, or I was a chaplain, they're automatically like, Oh God, you know, like, mm -hmm. Oh God. Uh, mm -hmm. And, um, but I don't, um, I, I know that there's a lot of very thumpy Bible people. <laughs> Hi, kitty. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. My two cats are having a discussion under the table. That's all good. So, it's okay. They're having. They're coming to another hey, stage. That's enough. Excuse me. No sorry. worries. You're good. Yeah. Um. I. I think that people would find. I would. I find that I've never asked you this question, and this is something that I was thinking of uh, when I left. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Ooh, I want to remember to ask him." Um, mm -hmm. because there are thumpy Bible people who just want to be really great with this community and bring them in so we can fix them, right? So that we can mm -hmm. convert them over. That yep. has never been your um, interaction with anybody that I've ever seen in the years and years that we've known each other. Like that's, I don't believe that for a second mm -hmm. is who you are at your core ever, um, but I would imagine that these thumpy Bible people, um, and you know, God bless them, that they, of course, believe more literally the the scriptures, mostly Old Testament stuff, and would look at you and say, "He's not a real Christian. He's not mm -hmm. a real this or that." And so, can you talk about that little mm -hmm. part of it because it's yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, uh, a different idea from what I have of what it means to be a Christian. Right. Uh, for a lot of people, the purpose of being a Christian is two things. Number one is personal salvation. Mm -hmm. uh, that if you believe and do certain things and live a certain way, uh, then you are capital S saved mm -hmm. and you will be, uh, uh, in in heaven with Jesus and other good people uh, after your earthly life. And mm -hmm. that's number one. Number two is to bring other people to that belief. Right. Um, because after all, you know, if, if they're not saved in that way, then, uh, you know, at best they just don't exist anymore after death. And at worst, if you believe in eternal punishment for those who have not been saved, then that's what their fate is to be. Mm -hmm. And um, my idea is quite different from that, which is that I think 
the duty of a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus, mm. to live as we are able to uh, in the way that he lived, which is in care and love for others, uh, in proclaiming justice and healing, um, and uh, in being personally present with those who are in pain. Mm -hmm. um, I had a, well, I guess I'd have to say a life-changing experience quite a few years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I was serving a parish in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a family who had uh, a little girl born and she was born with a congenital liver defect mm -hmm. called biliary atresia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that the bile duct that normally takes bile uh, from the gallbladder into the digestive system essentially was just closed off. It was just, it was like a little fiber rather than being a tube. Mm -hmm. um, she had an operation when she was about three or four months old, which sometimes corrects this, but it didn't work for her. Mm. And so the family was told the only possibility for her is a liver transplant. And I don't know how things are today, but at that time, this being about 1984, mm -hmm. three, thereabouts, uh, pediatric liver transplants were considered experimental there were only two places in the country that did them, uh, which were Yale and Johns Hopkins. Uh, insurance wouldn't pay a penny for them. Of and uh, at both of these hospitals, they said, we can put your kid on the list for a donor, but you have to show us that you have $150,000 in cash, God. which sounds incredibly heartless. But when you think about the aftercare of that kind of surgery yeah. and that, if they did not make that stipulate, then they were basically saying, we, the hospital, are just going to burn up a couple of hundred thousand dollars, you know, uh, for that we will never see a penny of. So it was pretty brutal, but it was what it was. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I remember I met with the, the family. Uh, it was the afternoon of Thanksgiving of uh, 1983. Mm. And... Um, uh, we talked about what are we going to do? And so the only thing we could think of was let's see if we could get the money. Mm -hmm. And some of it, uh, some family members took out second mortgages and things like that, but there was still a whole lot more that needed yeah. to be done. Yeah. And just, just so that the younger listeners understand early 1980s, barely DOS computers at that time. So there were no GoFundMes happening. No, no, like no, this. no, no, not the like, yeah. <laughs> this so, is all local community. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so we just basically did every single fundraising thing that we could imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, we had concerts at my church, everything from bluegrass to classical music to jazz. Uh, we had auctions of stuff of every kind you can think of this was the year that uh cabbage patch dolls were a big deal yep and uh we had a uh a local kmart donated uh four cabbage patch dolls which were just you know everybody wanted them and they you were impossible get to get yeah. so we auctioned them for hundreds of dollars uh the the little girl's grandfather 
uh, ran a filling station. And so every filling station in North Carolina had a little collection can for Shelley's surgery, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so we didn't actually steal money, but we did almost everything else. Everything, think everything uh, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I asked the governor of North Carolina, what can you do for this kid? And the answer was not much. As a state, we can, he said, I can make my airplane available if that would help. Uh, wow. And I even called the, the White House. And um, Nancy Reagan had, she had recently been to South Korea and brought back a couple of little kids who needed some sort of surgical procedure. And, you know, mm -hmm. all that was lovely. But they kind of said, well, we've sort of done sick kids now for the time being. So they, they didn't really they weren't able to help us much but yeah uh the we finally did get the money yeah so we notified these hospitals and then not too long afterwards yale new haven hospital called and they said that we have found a donor mm. so the fa uh, parents went up with a little girl and they asked me if i would come also which i did and um, we'd had, of course, every bit of publicity we could generate for all this. So I was, um, you know, the local TV news called me and said, oh, can you tell us what's happening with Shelley and so forth? And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I was uh, did that. And um, she had her she had her operation. Uh, 14 hours. Wow. That's torture. And. uh when she finished it, of course, she was in intensive care and hooked up to every medical device known to science. Mm -hmm. And um, she just didn't get better. Yeah. Um, and they could not get her uh, arterial oxygen up. And after it was about 36 hours they said we really don't think there's anything else we can do for her so parents and i talked at length and prayed together and um so uh they disconnected her from all of this machinery and um she had a lamb fleece that had been in her crib at home that her mother had brought her and so her, her mom sat down in a rocking chair and the dad kneeling next to her. And we laid the, the fleece across her lap. And um, I uh, did the last rites and, and the, the baby died. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, when we were flying back to Charlotte, the flight attendant came to us and said, the captain wants you to know that there are TV cameras at, at the gate at the airport. Oh, God. And um, I asked her, could you ask the captain if Mr. and Mrs. McConnell can leave the plane by the crew door instead of going out there? And she came back and said, yeah, they can do that. So I got to go out and talk to the TV cameras. Yeah. And um, her funeral was a few days later. And, you know, again, TV cameras, yeah. dozens of people and all that. And when I had time to even think about this, 
I realized that I had convinced myself that the money was the big thing because that's what seemed impossible. That if we got the money, it was all going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the next question was if there is a loving God, why the hell would something like this happen to a child? Of course. Yeah. And unfortunately for me, uh, I got paid for standing up in front of people every Sunday and telling them that there is a loving God who cares about them. Yes, yeah. And um, I uh, really kind of went into a bit of a flat spin over this. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it was, you know, nothing seemed to make any sense or be important, mm -hmm. you know, like. We need to find somebody to be in charge of Sunday school this year. Who cares about that? You know, yeah. and just and so the reality was I was not doing my job very well and I was really just kind of falling apart. Yeah. And I would have literally I would have nightmares about that little girl and how she looked at the end of her life. Mm -hmm. Um and then I had um what? a revelation, an insight, a vision, something. A paradigm you know. shift, uh, something, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, again, about how she had looked in that intensive care unit. And I just suddenly realized that I was looking at Christ on the cross. Mm. Mm. Because, I mean, literally, she had her arms straight out for all these IVs, IVs and things and like everything that. everything else, so, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And I got to thinking that whenever we see pain or suffering, we're seeing Christ on the cross. It means that God, who created all that is, suffers with us. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a life-changing insight for me. Sure. It made a whole difference for me in working with hospice. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, well, why is this all happening to Grandma? Well, I don't know why it's happening to Grandma, but, you know, God is right there with her. She is Christ on the cross. Mm -hmm. Or the little kid who gets, you know, hit by the truck on his bicycle, or the people going into Auschwitz or whatever. Mm -hmm. It was... It is God entering into completely into human suffering. And to me, that is the meaning of Christianity and who Christ is. And our job is to live in a way that honors that and to understand. And I have no idea why there is pain and suffering in the world. That is not, uh, you know, given to me uh, to understand, right. but there is. Right. And... Uh, that uh, that suffering and pain is is in the heart of God as uh, as much as it is in ours. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you know, I mean, uh, I could give you a whole spiel about the traditional views of what the meaning of the atonement of Christ on the cross were, and the theology, and you know, all that sort of stuff. But all that stuff doesn't mean much to me in except in the light of seeing Christ in in human suffering. Right. Yeah, exactly. And to understand, you know, I mean, and, and I think that, you know, it's the, 
it goes back to not having to, you know, whether it's you believe in energy or God, Jesus, you know, um, but having the knowledge that the energy force that surrounds you or the God that is with you mm -hmm. or Jesus that is with you is in this with you again. It, and that creates, exactly. you know, yes. that creates a communal experience as opposed to a solo loan experience without, yes. mm -hmm. without meaning or purpose or knowledge yeah. of any growth or reason for it. And as people, we've always wanted to assign meaning and purpose and make sense out of the nonsensical that's how mm -hmm. you know yeah. gods got created you know and yes. and, uh, and and you know that one of the things that you and i heard many times was well everything happens for a reason bullshit well, no it doesn't <laughs> yeah um and you know god never gives you more than you can bear well yeah he does sometimes or, you know if you whether you call it god or whatever reason people yeah. sometimes have more than they can bear you know so yeah all of those platitudes just uh to me they were just you know as you know people don't know what to say when They're just someone trying to say something dies. yeah and it would be so much better if they could just limit it to i'm sorry how can i help as opposed to well god i've got to say something quote comforting you mm -hmm. know and uh, mm -hmm. most of the comforting stuff isn't very but it's not no mm -hmm. no it's not but when i had um but there's your kid which kitty is it this is lenny <laughs> hi lenny um anyway the when i before jordan was born um haven't talked about this on here i had a, a miscarriage jordan was a twin and um you know is is not a twin in in life um so mm -hmm. i but I worked with you when I lost the one before Jordan mm -hmm. and I will never forget one of the things that you, what, what you had written. Yes. People are always trying to wax poetically and trying to make good of something that just sucks, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and you were, you basically said, I'm sorry. Um, but it was very, it was very beautiful and, the way that you wrote that you you hoped that this darkness was the rich soil from which hope and and mm -hmm. and peace can bloom basically mm -hmm. saying at some point i hope you can get through this it sucks and it's awful now you know and it was, mm -hmm. yeah. I, was yeah. I to actually remember what you wrote that long ago in mm -hmm. case anyone's forgetting the math jordan's 17 almost 18 so this was probably 18 19 years ago and to mm -hmm. still remember the quote that you had I don't what I don't remember shit of anything else that anybody else wrote, but I remember mm -hmm. that. Um, and I think it's that ability to connect and understand people and community. Now, did was that meaningful to get the card from work and how work? You know, that place mm -hmm. was that place was top tier as far as creating a community, a supportive place. Yes, it was. It was. Um, it was. I have two places that I have worked that have been of the absolute highest caliber. And that is what has set them apart mm -hmm. is not leadership acting like leadership, but leading in form, forming a community that supports each other in these highest goals mm -hmm. and aspirations and learning and growing and being better and, um, and I think, it, again, it all boils down to community, community, you know, mm -hmm. supporting one another and 
um, I can't go to OBI and not think of one of the people that we worked with that I went to nursing school with and um, she had Crohn's and we organized a blood drive. Like who does that? It wasn't a big community. This was not a big company. It was a big company overall, but our office was not a huge office, you know? No, it was not. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, who who does that? (laughs) Like, you know, um, and our friend Tammy, who's terrified of needles and will pass out if like she can, she can put them in other people, but if she actively sees you putting one in her, she will drop to the floor. One of the mm-hmm. toughest people you'll ever meet on earth, but if you go at her with a needle, she's dropping, yes. she's down. Um, and I, I, you know, we, you know how our relationship it is. It looks like we're fighting, but we're just conversing and having a discussion. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm pregnant. I can't. And she was like, I don't do. And I'm like, you have to donate for me. You've got to do it now. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no choice. Mm-hmm. I would. I'm pregnant. I can't. Now you have to take my place. And she was like, oh, and she did it. She did do <laughs> all that peer pressure. But it's, it's, I think it, it boils down to holding space, having community and connecting those meaningful stories yes. and, and finding meaning and purpose and in those kinds of yes. things. So how are you, how do you take care of yourself, you know, because I know holding space for trauma. I mean, I can't go back to hospice because it's, it's, it gets heavy. Um, it does. Yeah. The average burnout rate for a nurse in hospice is six months. I did it for 19 years, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and it, it broke me to a point. Like there's a point where I'm like, I can't, I can't, mm-hmm. I got, I'm, mm. well, you know, I, I would say I'm very, very glad I did it and I'm glad I'm not doing it anymore. Exactly. Was, yeah. Yeah. Um, how do I take care of myself? I guess um, not very well in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it has to do with my relationships with uh, people. Like, you know, today is Saturday, pretty much every Saturday of the world. I have a couple hours of coffee with my buddy Chris, mm-hmm. who, if you were to pick somebody who would say, who would be the exact opposite of John Borrego in every possible way? It might be him. Okay, good. Yep. Um, Tammy and yeah, I are the same he, way. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You know, he's uh, 20 years younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And um, he, uh, I, I hate how condescending this sounds, but he hasn't had a particularly great education. You know, mm-hmm. he went to college after high school and screwed up and dropped out. And then many years later, went back and finished his degree. Yep. Um He's a farmer. His mm-hmm. uh, uh, he always wanted to be. Uh, his family had a farm. They've had it back since territorial days. And uh, his father uh, passed away. I guess it's four or five years ago now. Mm. So it came to him. And you have never seen anybody happier than this guy with his herd of cows out there. Right. Um, and uh, and yet. We have so many common interests. He, I've never met anybody who reads as much as he does. Okay. Um, everything. Uh, you know, he loves science fiction. He knows more than Thomas Jefferson himself did about Thomas Jefferson. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, he has a wonderful family uh, and, you know, fantastic sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And, and he's just one of a circle of people that really mean a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yes, I do say my prayers and I have to say that even with all of this non-churchy stuff that, uh, Sunday morning celebrating the mass is a deeply powerful 
experience for me. Mm -hmm. And I love that I'm still doing that pretty regularly. I've actually, in the midst of a couple of weeks off, which is the first the, the last Sunday was the first Sunday I have not worked since last July. And so this was yeah. just kind of nice to, uh, yes, Lenny, um, <laughs> to uh, have that opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, and I think that that's important for people to understand mm-hmm. that holding space for other people and having that community and not under mm-hmm. understanding that you're not in suffering alone and, and those kinds of things um, mm-hmm. and being able to create meaning and purpose in, in certain things. Cause no one I said this before very early on, no one in their deathbed ever says, I wish I had cleaned more. I wish I had gotten more stuff. Like I wish I had yeah. bought more shit. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wish I'd gone shopping. You know, they might say, I wish I would have gone shopping more with my friend, family. Yeah, yeah, Again, yeah. It's always connected to someone, not the things like I, it's never things. It's never, you know, like I said, I wish my house was cleaner. I wish my this was... It mm-hmm, doesn't mm-hmm. matter anymore. <laughs> um, and the common themes were typically, are typically, I wish I would have forgiven this person or I wish this person knew or I wish that, you know, I traveled more. I wish I had more time to, to do what? You know, what would you do with more time? Oh, I would have done this. I would have done that. I would have married this person. Okay, well, then we're putting a wedding together. You know, like it's... And being able to, again, create a community, create a, a mm-hmm, hold mm-hmm. that space and create something for them. And it's, I think the most beautiful thing about working in hospice was and is, um, it gives you great perspective that most things don't matter. <laughs> um, that, yes, absolutely. And it, it definitely gave you, it gave me anyway, it gave me the perspective that control is an illusion, you know. Mm-hmm. When you're trying to control this or control that, it's like, you're lucky if you can control your bladder, man. Like, <laughs> it's not. And and for everything that science understands, um, speaking of, this is Tammy's ringtone. I know it's Tammy because it's her ringtone. Mm-hmm. It is R2-D2. Hi, Tammy. <laughs> yeah, it's R2-D2 clicking mm-hmm. and beeping because uh, mm-hmm. we ha- held an com- entire conversation in clicks and beeps. We were like, Mm-hmm. And we both knew exactly what we had said. Um, mm-hmm. So now her ringtone is R2-D2. Anyway, I digress. But um, mm-hmm. that for everything that science says, you can read a textbook and it says um, the body will shut down and you cannot live without food or water or drink or, mm-hmm. you know, for however long, you know, 72 hours, seven days, 14 days. And I'm like, people would ask me and I'm like, look, I know what the textbook says. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, you can toss it out the window, Mm. you know, um, because I saw somebody go, you know, 40 days without a drink, a sip Mm. or anything. And I'm like, how in the Mm -hmm. world? Like, that's not supposed to be a thing that can be done, but they did it. I watched it Mm -hmm. happen. Um, And so I, I, I find it to be that some of those things were some of the most holy places and you know that you know you just create it creates a an immediate like you went in and somebody who would have never wanted a chaplain if anybody had offered it or Mm -hmm. um but because of how we operate and how we would 
we, how we knew the game, how we understood the game, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I don't mean that it's a game, but the game of death, the dance yeah, of death, sure. um, that these people are going to create an instant, immediate attachment and trust to us in a way that they, you, you only gain, you know, it's immediate intimacy, immediate conversations that they've never held with other people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was, it's just a, an entirely different world. It's, and I feel like it was always a holy space, um, in a way, um, a spiritual space, um, mm-hmm. a, a, a magical play. It was magic. The things that we saw and heard and mm-hmm. the families would charge you with their legacy, you know, one more time, I'm going to tell this story one more time and they'll stay alive mm-hmm. in you. And, um, and it was, it was beautiful. It was meaningful, but it's draining. It's just, it's exhausting. Um, mm-hmm. And you have to pour and pour and pour and pour and pour. And if you don't take care of yourself, you end up very empty, <laughs> very empty, and 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 you have nothing left in you. So that was a long diatribe about that. Anyway, um, so I appreciate you so much. I really do for doing this. Um, and Thank you for asking. What's that? Thank you for asking. Me. Absolutely, absolutely. It it has has I. I find you to be a fascinating human being with all of the things that are in your brain. And you read probably more than anybody that I know. So if he reads more than anybody you know, he reads an extreme amount. <laughs> um, and so on that note, well, we are going to shift. What are you listening to? Mm-hmm. What you've been um, reading, watching, and all of that. Okay. Well, um, I... Uh, um, this is the this week is the anniversary of the great Sgt. Pepper album, and so I've listened to the Beatles this week. Yes. Um, in a more general way, I like a lot of different kinds of music, mostly nothing that has been uh, recorded or written in about the last thirty years because mm-hmm. I'm old. <laughs> uh, there is there is an Oklahoma artist that I like very much. Her name is Samantha Crane. Okay. Um, I believe she's from Shawnee, but she is terrific. It's just her, she's got a wonderful voice and a fantastic stage presence. Um, uh, I like uh, classical music. My ringtone is the first notes of Mozart's 40th Symphony in G minor. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What am I reading? Right in the moment, uh, one of my esoteric nerd interests is aviation history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, he can tell you um, anything about it. Like if he's a, what's that plane? He'll, he'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am in the midst of a book called His Majesty's Airship. Ooh. And it is about a large dirigible uh, that was supposed to uh, inaugurate a huge network of, of uh, essentially Zeppelin traffic all over the British Empire. Ooh. And it was it was going to in 1930 they were going to fly from England to India, uh, and that will be sort of the, the the kickoff point for it. Except it crashed in France on the way, and it was it was sort of a Titanic kind of thing. You know, everybody thought this is the safest air travel in the entire world, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. uh, some bad decisions were made and so forth. But anyway, I just that's the kind of stuff I enjoy. I I like history of uh, many different kinds. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Roman history is a particular interest of mine, um, and um, 
just a you know a lot of stuff um i i don't read a lot of novels that are on the new york times bestseller list right you know occasionally there'll be one that'll catch my interest but not a lot of brand new fiction but um mm -hmm. uh, and i read more non-fiction than fiction but uh, uh and um i can't remember the last movie i actually sat in a theater for but mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. i'm looking forward to um uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, it was a fantastic book. And yes. Everybody says the movie's quite excellent. Yes. And yes. Um, actually, my wife Lynn and I have a peculiar taste for horrible 1950s cheap science fiction movies. Oh. And so we watch a lot of flying saucer type stuff and, you know, invaders from Mars uh, uh, kind it. of things. You know, most evenings we will sit and have a glass of wine and, and watch some awful movie, also horror movies of that period. So anyway, oh it's uh, uh, that that's our uh, uh, guilty pleasure, and we enjoy those things. I got it. Okay. Well, I um, I have been watching a lot of um, <laughs> RuPaul's Drag Race. It's just because um, there's a thing going on. Jordan knows everyone's names, birthdays, what city they live in. And then he started attaching gender to people. So how they presented, he would be like, you know, you're Audra. You know, you were born on November 6th. And that was a Tuesday. You know, he said the year the Tuesday. And this is how old you are. And you're a female. And I was like, Jordan, you can't assign, you got to ask them what their pronouns are. And it didn't click mm -hmm. with him. It wasn't clicking. So I made, I made my child watch RuPaul's Drag Race. And, you know, it's perfect because Ru comes out, you know, comes out as, mm -hmm. um, he presents as a man at the first of the show and then comes out as, you know, drag queen RuPaul at the end of the show. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, is that a girl or a boy? Fast forward. Is that a girl or a boy? Yeah. See, that's the same person. It's the exact same person. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he wants to be called he there and then he wants to be and he was so like, at first a little confused and then a little mm -hmm. bit like, wait, what? And then, and then it went into like, then I, you know, it helped. So now, now we're working on the script of asking mm -hmm. and what and, and how what what gen, what what gender do you identify or what what are your pronouns, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's it. Um <laughs> And so we've we've been watching a lot of that and talking a lot about mm -hmm. that. I have literally been listening to silence the two days that um, Jordan was gone to because of his transition anxiety and how rough it was. And then my dog escaping also um, and not having come back and all of that. I was so emotionally dysregulated. I literally just sat in the room in silence while he was gone. <laughs> Yeah, it mm -hmm. was really good. So there was that. And then I am still listening to an or reading Unorthodox by Deborah Fieldman. So, which is about a woman who left the Orthodox, um, the Hasidic community. So um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the very, very ultra, ultra um, Orthodox mm -hmm. community and, and how rough that can be. It's an interesting read for sure. So, again, I appreciate you so, so, so much um, for doing mm -hmm. this. And I uh, will see you guys in the stacks next week. Thank you.
again. I cannot thank you enough for taking some time out of your busy lives to listen to this week's chapter, engage with the show, social media accounts, and for all of your feedback. I appreciate your feedback so much. It helps me to find those chapters and stories that you guys actually want to hear. If you have just a moment, can you head over to Spotify and follow the show no matter where you're listening from? It would really help me out. And if you want to, you can check out my flow page. It is flow.page slash not in the textbooks. It has all the links to the social media accounts and where you can actually listen. If you want to be on the show or you want to nominate someone to be on the show, please email me at notinthetextbookspodcast at gmail.com. Just a quick reminder that we're not all getting straight A's in the stories of our lives and some people are having harder chapters than you are. So take a minute, pause, think about it, be kind. And if you're struggling right now because your chapter is super hard, I'll be your cheerleader. I'm here for you. Reach out, get support and get the help that you need. Um, Keep going. And on that note, I'll see you in the stacks next week.